Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Matea Rentia. Dr. Rentia is a board-certified internal medicine physician specializing in metabolic health. She's the founder of the Rentia Metabolic Clinic and the co-host of the Weight Loss for Life podcast. In the episode, Dr. Rentia shares why weight loss medications can be the appropriate intervention, why you should be the scientist of your body, why it's important to balance your blood sugar, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Dr. Rentia. Enjoy! Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Dr. Rentia. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. We connected originally on TikTok, which is still new-ish to me, and I know kind of new-ish to you as well. And it's a whole different world on there, right, compared to Facebook and Instagram? Definitely. You know, I, I hadn't been on it much until a few months ago, and I realized there there's a definitely a part of the internet where you don't need to be singing to songs and doing trending reels. <laughs> totally. I know. That's what I thought it was. My sister-in-law is 18, and I'm 38. So there's a, or I'm almost 38. So there's a 20 year age difference there. And she was always on it. And so I just kind of assumed, you know, this is the thing for kids, as I'm sure a lot of people did. And then I got on it and realized, wow, I could just post videos of myself talking to the camera and started doing that. And now I've gained a lot of followers and she just thinks it's crazy because she's like, "Why? wait a second, what are you doing on there? How do you have all these followers? And so it's blowing her mind that somebody my age is on there creating the type of content I'm creating because it's so different from what she's seeing. That's the exact same thing for me. I have stepkids that are ages 11 to 15. They don't even know I'm on TikTok. And I was shocked how the numbers went up. 
because I was thinking, who wants to hear what I have to say? But there's definitely, there's content for everyone on there. I will put it that way. (laughs) There really is. And she will say, oh, do you follow this person? Or, oh, do you see these videos? And I tell her, you know, I think our algorithm is totally different because I have no idea what you're talking about. And she's just very confused by that as well because she thinks everybody knows these people she follows. But it's funny because, I mean, I think they say that about all social media, right? The kids kind of get onto it first and then us older people kind of infiltrate. (laughs) I'm definitely the late adopter. I'll put it that way. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Well, I'm excited to be connecting with you here and I love your videos. We will definitely share your handle and where everybody can find and follow you on social media. But I would love if you could just share with us what led you to become a board certified internal medicine physician and to focus specifically on weight management. Yeah. So I always was interested in medical things. I grew up in a family where there were there was a two physician household. So my mom and dad were both family physicians. They've owned a clinic in Chicago for almost over 40 years. So a long time. So I grew up around all that. I always loved science. I ended up going to medical school and I thought I want to be an endocrinologist. So to me, I was really fascinated with hormone regulation, diabetes. I loved all of that. After residency, I go to internal medicine, which if anyone here is not really familiar, that's think adult uh, adult medicine, so cardiology, pulmonary, all those kind of things. And I think I'm going to go on to do endocrine. Well, what I really realize is I love primary care because you get to take care of all the diabetes and everything. I wouldn't do like an insulin pump management, but I got to do all the things I wanted to. Well, what I really quickly realized when I got into clinical practice was that everything was centered around, we're sort of dealing with all the branches of the trees. There's blood pressure problems and there's blood sugar problems, but we're not looking at the roots. We're not looking at weight management. We're not looking at why is the insulin up? We never really got down to the problems. And so I started to get fascinated with how could I help patients more with this? And then at the same time, I myself was going through a weight loss struggle. I knew that I needed to change some things. I wasn't getting the answers I wanted. And so through me looking at how can I help myself, I found how to help patients better. And it really opened up where metabolic health health was really the thing that was always kind of calling to me to want to help more with. Oh, wow. So in your clinic, do you predominantly help people with weight management issues or do you kind of go across the spectrum? So I have a split practice. So part of it is primary care and then the other part of it is weight management. And so when I say metabolic health, it's really about how can we bring the blood sugars down? Do we need to maybe look into some weight loss so that some of the medical problems might get better? And so it's really looking at all of that. Mm, Okay. I know on TikTok, Instagram, maybe I haven't really seen it on Facebook because I'm not on there much, but there's this idea perpetuated that some people are on one end of the spectrum saying everybody with obesity should try to lose weight. And then some people are on the other end of the spectrum saying nobody needs to lose weight. You can be, you can have optimal health at any size. Where is, I think, you know, any extremes are always extreme. So where is the truth in the middle of that? Yeah, I think it's the, it's the answer lies somewhere in the messy middle. So the problem is when we have extra weight on our body, there's two things that it causes. Either one, you get uh, problems from the mass of the weight. So you might get arthritis in an early age. You might get uh, obstructive sleep apnea because your throat is collapsing and you can't breathe at night or restrictive lung disease because the lungs 
can't expand with the weight. But then the other problem that you can get is from that excess weight, you can get um, hormonal problems and things like that. And that's really what we're talking about, which is you get diabetes, things like that. The problem is not everybody, when their weight is up, are going to get those metabolic problems. And so usually what ends up happening the people that are privileged where their weight is up and they're not getting the metabolic problems, they say, look at me, I don't have any problems and look at how great my labs are. And so not everybody where the weight's up, are they going to get these problems? But what I tend to see is people come to me once a lot of these things have started to happen. And so my encouragement is no matter what your size is, you can take excellent care of yourself. So you need to look at, do I feel good? Is my sleep quality where I want it to be? Do I feel nourished? Do I feel stable throughout the day with my energy? Looking at all of that, weight might be playing a part in it, but I'm not going to sit here and say that everyone needs to lose weight. That's really an individual decision. Mm -hmm. I think what you bring up is so important too. And I see this with clients a lot that focusing on the weight loss is not necessarily the most helpful. So focusing on having more energy, feeling more confident in your clothes, sleeping better, you know, all of those things, first of all, you're going to have quicker results probably than the weight you want to lose. If you're trying to lose 20 to 30 pounds, that's going to take a long time. So if that's the only thing you're focusing on, you can get really frustrated throughout the process. But if you're focusing on, wow, I'm eating meals that are more balanced in portions that are right for my body. And I'm having so much energy and I don't feel that 4pm crash and I don't feel uncontrollably snacky after dinner. All of these other wins are what keep you motivated and disciplined throughout the process. And once you realize I have one client say, if I didn't lose another pound, I wouldn't care at all because I just feel so much better. I would never want to go back to the way I was eating or going about my daily habits because I felt I didn't realize at the time how awful I felt. And now I realize how amazing I feel. And I don't want to go back to that place. Totally. And you know, the other thing that it really brings up is this fallacy where we can pick a number we want to get down to, and then we can will our way there. And the reality is you could be having the best habits in the world, lose some weight, but not as much as you thought, but still be incredibly healthy and have an amazing life. And so I often say you're going to get to what I call your best weight. It's what you can sustain. It's where you can keep up the habits. We're not just going to be restrictive and crazy about how we're going about it. Maybe your body needs to live at a little bit of a higher weight, but you can still feel great with doing that. It might not be the pre-pregnancy weight or the <laughs> those genes that you loved when you were 25. That might not be realistic anymore at 40, right? Like bodies change. Yeah, changes happen. When trying to lose weight, I know, again, being active on social media, we see a lot. What do you see people doing that is just ultimately a waste of time, money, and or energy? I think the biggest thing that I see is that people are looking for really quick fixes. And so they're blinded as to the sustainability of it. And so the only thing they're looking at is how quick can I get this weight off? And they're not thinking about, does this work in my everyday life? And so to me, I don't care if you're able to lose weight. If you can't keep it off, that's really no good. I would rather you lose five pounds, be able to sustain it and keep going versus you losing 30 pounds. And then two, three months later, it just boomerangs back plus more usually. Mm -hmm. That's typically through something like, is it the Optavia that has the fuelings? Have you 
Uh, Octavia, yeah. So lots of, you know, shakes. It's like, you know, restrictive things like that or doing programs where you're putting in like 50 habit changes all at once. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do the gallon of water. We're going to work out an hour a day. And and maybe they can do that for a week or two. Maybe, you know, usually up to a month or two people could like hard 75, right? That's an example. So you're able to like stack in all these things. But if I if I get you in a year from then, chances that you've actually maintained any of it pretty close to zero is what I usually see. <laughs> yeah. I have one client right now who a bunch of her friends are doing the Octavia and they're losing weight so fast and they're posting in on Facebook all the time and she's working with me and she's losing it slower. And it's just this constant discussion of, but what you're doing is going to be sustainable and you're doing these healthy lifestyle habits and you're going to Mexican food and enjoying yourself and not worrying about, do you have the, I think they call it a fueling, which to me just seems, I don't know, it's bizarre terminology around that program, but you know, you have your fuelings for the day. And so her friends are taking their fuelings to the Mexican restaurant and then stressing and wanting the chips. I mean, there's just this whole thing, right? Like that's not going to be sustainable long-term. And I mean, kudos to somebody, if that works for them, whatever, and you're able to sustain results, but the majority of people I don't think are getting the long-term sustainability. I mean, it's literally the definition of diet culture. So it's zero regard for your actual life and you're not able to hang out with friends. You're very disordered as far as like what you're doing, how you're doing it. And usually, I mean, I remember myself in college when I, the, the first time I actually really lost significant weight, I knew if you would ask me at that point, are you going to be able to keep it off? I would have said no, because I would cut out a meal so that I could have the latte and everything was so much bargaining and negotiation in a really bad way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I knew even then I can't sustain it. I thought I just need to get down to the weight and then I will have a great life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, it just never works that way. I use the analogy of a marriage, for example. You would never think you hit a point in a marriage or any partnership that things are just perfect and you'll never have a disagreement again. And it's just smooth sailing from there on out. It's constantly a work in progress. And if we approach our weight management journey and nutrition and our habits the same way, like you said, things are constantly changing. We're in different seasons of life. We never have a point where we just hit it and we're like, oh, got this in the bag forever. Don't have to worry about it ever again. That's never going to happen. But that's what a lot of these programs make you think. What about, so years of being a weight management physician, would you say you've changed your mind about anything in terms of how you support people in their weight loss efforts now versus what you did years ago? Definitely. I think when... When I first started out, this was years ago, before I was uh, more uh, doing much more weight management, I was not such a fan of the medication. And this came from a place of not having enough education in this category. Um, the old school version of weight management was three months of a medication called Adapex, which is a stimulant. So you would put them on it, they lose weight, and then you have to take it away because it's only FDA approved for a few months. And so what I would know is that they would gain it all back. Now, I didn't have training in some of the newer ones. I also didn't have all of the medical education to understand how complex the brain physiology and the hormonal changes are. And so... I don't think that I knew fully how to help people. You know, you always try the best you can, but the more education I got, I realized this is 
one tool, medicine might be, and again, this isn't for everyone, but they might need that help because some people, the reward system in their brain is so strong that they're not able to access the habits that are going to help them. So if you look at like a wheel and you look at, you know, what plays in the weight, and there'll be genetics and environment and behavioral. And then what some people will say is, well, look, all this behavioral stuff is what you can work on. What ends up happening if some people are really far into overweight, they have a very hard time accessing the ability to change things because the reward system is very uh, fixated on certain foods. And so by some medications, it can help them to feel more empowered. And I didn't understand all these relationships until I got better educated and then started to help patients with that. And I think from what I see of conversations about these medications, it's not just you take the medication and don't work on the habits at the same time. It's kind of a both and. So I think a lot of people maybe demonize the medication as, oh, this is a Band-Aid fix and you really have to dive deeper into the lifestyle habits. And I think that's what the majority of obesity medicine specialists are doing is they're doing the both and approach, not just here's medication, see you later. Correct. Nothing is happening in isolation. So really for a program to be effective for someone, again, plus or minus the medicine, but they need nutrition support. A lot of them need some type of mindset or maybe therapy, but there needs to be some type of getting our brain on board with the changes. Maybe you need a fitness expert. Ultimately, there's usually a lot of skill gaps in there. So a lot of it, you might just literally not know how to increase the protein in your diet. You know, that's one of the reasons I love your channel so much because it's so practical, the skills that people need to be more successful. And medicine is not like, oh, we're going to get you on it and then you're going to be perfect. It's more like it's one tool in the toolbox of what we can give you. Mm -hmm. Can you describe some of the current medicines that people are having success with and how do you approach that? Is it a short-term thing for some people or is it a longer-term solution? How do you go about prescribing and kind of managing those? So a lot of people right now are really excited about the GLP-1 option medications. These are the injectable weight loss options. We have some that are once a day and some that are once a week. So you might hear names like Saxenda, Ozempic, Manjaro. The thing that's really exciting is that we see a high percentage of weight loss. And so what we do when we give these medicine to people, we are giving them a gut hormone that as we become more overweight, our body is actually deficient in it. And so when we give these medicines, our gut slows down the motility so that our brain gets the signal, you are uh, satisfied earlier. So people get the off switch that they might not have received at a higher weight. So we're restoring some of that normal physiology for them. And their brain is not, it's not asking for food all the time. And that quieted voice, people are really excited about that. So the for weight loss percentages are really amazing on that. But we also have other medicines from the past that work great as well. Um, I'll say names like Contrave or Qsimia. And a lot of these combine weight loss medications. They're oral that you take. And what they do is they decrease urges and cravings and they help in other ways. So the important thing is really, if you feel this is something that's needed, that you go and talk to a doctor and they see what actually is your problem. Do you have a lot of urges and cravings? Do you not get the, I've had enough signal? Like, are you just hungry 24 seven? So based on what you're saying, there might be an option that helps you better or not. Is it important to see an obesity medicine physician if you're in that boat, or could you just go to a primary care? Are they equipped to have that conversation? 
So it is so variable. So I'll say some primary care doctors, amazing. They, they do this extra training. They're going to what are called CME, continuing medical education, and they're up to date. There are others that are in the stone age. So the challenge here is this. I would say start with your primary care doctor and go to them and say, hey, I've struggled with weight for a really long time. Here are all the things I've tried. No matter what I do, the weight comes back on and, I'm, and I've had a really hard time. Do you think medicine would be a good option for me? And if their answer is this, eat less and move more and they don't and and they can't talk to you about medication options nothing like that i think that they're not the best person to start with then i would say hey can i be referred to an obesity medicine board certified physician and they have so much more training in understanding this i'm saying before i had more training i did not understand what all the options were or how to help people best so if your primary care doctor can do it amazing if not i would ask to get referred on and so if you get the eat less, move more response or, you know, you don't need medication or just kind of dismissed, advocate for yourself. Definitely. And by the way, it's not a wrong thing if you need to get a second opinion from another primary care doctor or um, call your insurance and see what else is covered. The reality is weight management, um, obesity, all of it, it is so highly stigmatized. I cannot tell you how often I hear from people, my doctor said, keep a food log for six months and come back and talk to me, that they need to prove themselves before they can get help. That it's really disheartening. It's really discouraging. And of course, then the blame and shame cycle continues. So they blame themselves for the weight. They go into shame. It gets even worse um, and then all of that we've seen from studies, their cortisol goes up, so you're more stressed, you gain more weight. It's time for us to say this is actually a medical problem and some people will need help with this and they don't need to be shamed even more by their medical provider. Right. Is most of the medication you go on now something that you'll be on for life or just for a short term? So the medications would be for life because if we take it away, the weight is going to come back on. And so I know this is something really challenging for people to come to grips with. I, I see this weekly in the clinic that um, I just had someone that didn't want to start on medication yet, wanted to give other things a try before that because when I bring up, this is not going to be a three-month medicine. This is going to be potentially for years and years to come. There's a hesitancy. Most people, though, by the time they're seeking out that medical care, they have tried everything they're not, this is not the first time they're trying to work on their diet and exercise. They truly cannot be successful. Mm -hmm. And then if somebody were to get from their primary care physician, the medicine, let's say, but then their primary care physician isn't going to give them the support with the lifestyle habits to kind of go in conjunction. Is that when you recommend that somebody seek out extra support from some type of coach or dietitian so that they're they're on the medicine, but also implementing the habits. So from the beginning, I would recommend that. So here's okay. the tricky thing. If you're lucky enough to live by a center where you're seeing an obesity medicine doctor and they have an amazing team around them, some of them have nutritionists and um, physical therapists, like they have it all set up. That is a rarity and does not exist in majority of the U.S., okay? So if you're lucky, amazing. All right, the rest of everybody your doctor is going to help with the medicine part. You need another support system. So, for example, Brooke, I think your program is amazing, right? You need the nutrition support. You need some mindset help. You need that other help. The other thing is you need a community around you. You need to hear that other people are going through the same thing, what their struggle is, that you're not alone. If we look at it, the 
accountability aspect, um, hearing in a group that you're not alone, all of those things have massive implications for long-term weight management. So it's not enough to just get a medicine. Your doctor does not have the time, period. Even if they're seeing you monthly, they do not have the time to go through all the other stuff with you. Someone else is going to provide that. Maybe the medical team there, but 99% of the time, I'm encouraging. I even have a list of programs that people can go to, other ways that they can get help. Maybe it's even podcasts if they don't have the money, but you need in some capacity to get other hands around you. Otherwise, it doesn't, it doesn't get solved for life. And that is one of the things when I'm talking to people about what they've tried in the past and I hop on a call because I want to be sure we're, we're a good fit, of course. And when they're describing everything they've done, a lot of times people bring up Weight Watchers. I'd say 90% of people I work with have done Weight Watchers at some point. And though they weren't successful on it and have, you know, ended up not it didn't work for them. They did love the community aspect. And so, you know, you think about maybe something hasn't worked totally in your past, but did a piece of it work? And that could be really telling as well of what could work for you now. And I think it's like, I say, there's nobody ever says I planned too much or I'm too prepared, right? Like you can't, maybe, maybe there's an extreme for that, but I, you know, fail to plan plan to fail type of thing. And so when you have, I saw you just post about this, when you have fruits and vegetables washed and chopped and ready to go, or when you have your exercises for the week and your Google calendar, any type of planning or prepping is going to be supportive. And so I think in the same way, nobody would ever say, oh man, this community, man, I hate, it's awful when you're a part of a supportive community that's helping you along the way, right? So it's like, there's no, there's no harm at all in finding some type of support outside of yourself. You know, the other thing is it's, it's often so easy to see the problem in someone else, right? You hear another, I'll give an example. Like you hear another woman talk about it and you're like, yes, I can see why she struggles with that and why that was recommended to her. You have total clarity, right? But when it's with yourself, it's very muddy. It's very hard to see. We don't have the perspective. I always say like, it's like you're driving in the car. You know how they warn you about that one blind spot. That's usually what your coach helps you with or what the group helps you Mm. to see. But you need to usually see someone else going through it to have that reflected back to you so that you can see where it shows up in your life. Totally. Just on a my group program coaching call yesterday, I was supporting this woman with the challenge she's having. And then another woman chimed in, oh, remember Brooke said this in that one video and that really helped me, which I had totally forgotten that I said <laughs> in a video. And I said, oh, I said that, yeah, that could help. And then the woman getting the, the support said, oh my gosh, that's such a good tip, I'll use that. And then that woman ended up giving support to somebody else who was struggling drinking water. And she said, when I struggle, I instead of taking one sip, I've trained myself to just, I've picked up the water. So just take five sips. And that has helped tremendously. And my mind was blown. I was like, that's such a good idea. We all take one sip of water at a time. So if you're just taking five at a time, if you're somebody who really struggles with water, maybe that's more helpful. Instead of drinking it more, you drink more and fewer frequencies. I just learned so much from the community as well you know, everybody gets support in there. Yeah. It's the tips that you would never think of on your own. Yeah. Right? I love what you're describing there. It's it's like the little, you would never on your own get the results that quick, but you're hearing all these ideas, you're taking it in. It's like rocket fueling you forward. Exactly. In one of your TikTok videos, you said, 
being the scientist of your body is in, I think you were saying these things are out, fad dieting or, you know, restrictive dieting being a few of them, but being the scientist of your body is in. And I love the way you said that and went on to describe it. Can you explain more what you mean by that? Well, I think long enough, we've lived in a world with where diet culture is running things. And so what that looks like is, okay, this book is written, or this program is made, and I need to 100% follow it. And it's like, forget what your life looks like, you're gonna have to follow this food list and follow these rules. And then you end up falling off. And nowhere in there did it ever account for what do you know, are you hungry? What are your hunger cues doing? Do you feel good when you eat that food? Or is your stomach sort of gurgling and bubbling the next hour or two? And so being the scientist is all about listening to yourself again. And without drama, just really seeing how do I feel today? Okay, how did that sleep work out for me? Was it great? Um, when I eat that, how do I feel 30 minutes after an hour after? What happens if tomorrow I try to bring in this different food that has a little bit more protein? Do I feel better? Or did I think it would be healthy, but I actually still feel bad? So being the scientist, it's about listening to yourself again, and very much so trusting in yourself because you can be trusted. Someone else outside of you might have ideas and recommendations, but you are going to have to listen to what feels good for you. They're not in your body. Mm -hmm. I also use the scientist terminology in terms of, I find so many women, especially I mostly work with women, but just feel so much guilt or shame if they have cravings after dinner, for example, and what is wrong with me? What's going on? And I say, what if you were to approach this more like a data scientist and look at the data points throughout the day or even the previous day? And so let's connect the dots backwards as a scientist would do and take all the emotion out of it and just ask, huh, at lunch, did I get enough protein and fiber? What about at breakfast? Did I get enough water today? Did I sleep well last night? Am I overly stressed? And come from this place of questioning as scientists do. And usually you pinpoint something like, oh my gosh, last night I only slept five hours instead of eight. And that would contribute to me feeling extra snacky and having intense cravings today. And so you release that guilt and shame and you just think, huh, I found it. It's kind of fun, right? If you turn it into a game and you do learn so much about your body instead of just beating yourself up all the time. Totally. It's a different quality. And then you're able to take that and change things instead of it's always a me problem. It can be a system problem. There's something I'm doing foundationally that isn't working, but you're never going to get to that if shame is running the show. Oh, I like that. If shame is running the show. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. 
I'd love to kind of go over some of your best tips for, let's start with, if somebody's experiencing constant hunger or intense cravings, what are some of your best tips that you would give that person? So with this, I always say we want to support the physiology first. So usually it's about stabilizing your blood sugar. So I, I'm not going to come from a place of restriction where I'm going to say, well, I don't want you to have the candy and the chips, things like that. What I would say is this, let's add, not subtract. Let's bring in some good protein. Let's bring in some good veggies. Let's stabilize the boat. You know, it's a horrible feeling. Like think about a boat in the middle of the ocean, a storm comes. That's scary to be on that boat. It's up and down and it's all over the place. That's what's happening with your blood sugar when you're not supporting yourself with nutrition. And so if you're hungry all the time, urges and cravings through the roof, let's bring in things at those times. So what it, what, like practically, and I'm sure you're the expert on this, but let's say you're having chocolate every evening or you're having chips every night. Can we just add some protein in there? Just like, I don't even care if it's a piece of cheese, a few nuts. I mean, I, you probably have recommendations for this. But I'm like, let's stabilize things out and not worry about, well, I got to cut down the calories or lose weight because you're feeling so bad right now. That's never going to be the outcome if we don't stabilize things first. Yeah. And it requires, like you're saying, kind of that education that I lacked for all of my 20s. And so I would turn to a bag of pretzels as a snack and be hungry five minutes later and then be annoyed at myself because I'm like, I just ate a snack. Why am I still hungry? And now I posted the other day, I, one of my favorite things is to make these pretzel crisp nachos, I call them. So I just put pretzel crisps, those flat pretzels on a plate. And I either sprinkle on some shredded cheese or like pull apart a flat piece of cheese and put it in the microwave. And that snack is so filling because I'm getting some fat and some protein through the cheese with the pretzels and it's delicious. And then usually I'll have a piece of fruit or a vegetable with it, but it's satisfying. It's more balanced. I'm actually full. I'm not snacky again five minutes later. And so just these tiny little changes can just make you feel like you said, I love that analogy, so much more in control in a steady boat rather than in this tumultuous sea. How about your best tips for somebody who has emotional eating tendencies? So emotional eating is, is a tough one. So that's eating for any reason that other than physical hunger. And so the, the question here is this, what do I actually need at those times? So we're not going to beat you up for what's going on, right? We're not making it a problem anymore that you want to eat and you're not physically hungry. I would just start with 100% curiosity. What is going on for me right now? What do I actually need? So I always talk about something called a compassion pause. And that's you literally like pause in time. Because what I look like, you pause and you're like, what do I actually need right now? And what you end up noticing is maybe I'm tired. I'm irritable. I'm annoyed. I think it's going to taste good. I don't care what pops up, but you start to be able to identify what's actually there. Then you still have the permission slip. You want to eat it, go eat it. But, but the point is you've got to know what's there to start to do a little bit of like emotional strength training to realize here's what's happening for me. And I'm, I'm asking food to do something that it can't actually provide for me. And I will acknowledge that and let that be true, but I'm not anymore going to think that the food makes me feel better because I make myself feel better, but like pairing those two apart. So emotional eating needs to first be understood from a compassion standpoint because something's running it. Like for me, it was just utter exhaustion at the end of 16 hour days. I would just unwind quote unquote with chips in bed. And that was what I thought love looked like just sitting in bed, eating a 
big bag of Dorito chips. And it wasn't, but like I had to realize, wow, Mateo, you got up at five, you worked all day, then you did the housework, then you did this. Of course you're tired, but I had to come from that place first. Mm. I honestly am going to re-listen to this episode, which I don't typically do, but you are dropping so many good (laughs) analogies and phrases, emotional strength training. I mean, that just stuck with me and I'm just still thinking about that term. I love it because you have to build that, right? Like a muscle. And it takes, here's the thing I really want to say. It takes time. So, you know, people are going to hear this and and then if, you know, if a woman's hearing this, she's going to want to go do it and then think like, well, day one, it didn't work. You might need a year to figure out why this 30 year habit has been running on autopilot and to think that we could solve it in a day. It's, it's literally insanity. So I often talk about like there's four phases of healing emotional overeating. Phase one, you notice it after the fact, it's always a hundred percent gone down, right? Like it's, it's, that's where you're starting normally. Phase two is you're in the middle of eating, you notice it, you can't stop it. Phase three, you notice before, but you still eat it, right? Like that's phase three, you're still eating all the food. Phase four, the last phase is you actually have the skills to do something different with it, but that takes time. That's that's the fourth stage. So it's very painful because you go through all this awareness and you're figuring things out. And then you keep saying, well, why can I not be doing better? I know this, like no one needs more information, right? But yet it keeps playing out. It takes time to be able to change the actions that we ultimately take from the place of our feelings. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. I I use the analogy of learning a new language, <laughs> learning an instrument. You aren't going to learn it overnight. And if, if you've learned the language of dieting for 20 years or 20 plus, 30 even, it's not going to be that you unlearn or learn a new language in a week. It's just not going to happen, but it's, you know, kind of setting those realistic expectations. And in this Amazon prime two day delivery world and DoorDash, where food can be at your doorstep in 30 minutes, it's hard to settle for this reality that it's going to take a while, but it's so freeing in the long run when you commit to that, that longer journey. Definitely. What about tips for somebody who's having trouble staying consistent? Oh, that's a really good one. So I feel consistency is such a loaded word because, you know, oh, I can never be consistent. So when I hear this, the main thing I hear is that it's a scale problem, meaning you are trying to commit to new behaviors, new actions, whatever it is, that are way bigger than you're able to maintain right now. So if you're not consistent, I need you to slash the goal, likely you know, in a third and you do a small part. So I'll give you an example. Like I'll start working with someone new and they'll be a busy professional and they'll try to do like an hour of exercise a day when they've not done anything for like 10 years. And it's like, Hey, and then they'll come back in a week or two and shocker, none of it's happened. And I'm like, why don't we try 10 minutes three times a week? You know? So when you're not consistent, again, it's usually a system problem. It's not a you problem. So you have a busy life. You haven't built time yet. You haven't prioritized it yet. Can we start to baby step it? So let's cut it way back. And usually, and I know you're a fan of Atomic, the book Atomic Habits, where he talks about the 1% upgrade. I know. It's like my favorite book. So here's, here's the deal. When you feel the change is so small, it's insignificant. That's when you know you've hit gold. That's it. Go do that for a month. Let me know how you feel. You will be so proud of yourself. I can do this and then keep building on it. That's usually the, the key to consistency. You brought up my favorite. I, I joke with my clients that 
James Clear has author of Atomic Habits has literally no idea that I exist, but I quote him nonstop. And so maybe one day we'll connect and I can just fangirl and have a celebrity moment. But aside from Atomic Habits, which everybody should pick up, it's fantastic. If you don't even want to read the whole book, I would recommend you can go to Google Atomic Habits James Clear, go to his website, and you can sign up for his weekly newsletter. And every Thursday, he sends what he calls the 321 uh, email. And so it's three ideas from him, two ideas from somebody else and one question. And the three ideas from him are taken directly from his book. And they're fantastic. Every week, every Thursday, I look forward to getting this email, even though I've read the book. Uh, Aside from Atomic Habits, what are some of your other favorite books about weight loss, weight maintenance, healthy habit building, nutrition? What are your favorites? I could literally say a million here. So I'm going to just say a few, but I feel like I could do like top 30. (laughs) So (laughs) so I feel like one of the main ones that I love, especially if you're into, if you're high on the emotional eating scale, you're wanting to get more intuitive, understand yourself a little bit better. I really love the book Words to Eat By by Karen Koenig. I hope I'm saying her last name right. She's really, in my mind, like a pioneer in this space and really lots of great questions to ask yourself before you eat, during, after. The workbook, I think it's the food and feelings workbook, really good stuff in there. So it's very like a self-directed if you want to do that. Um, Another really good book that I like, it's called The Gap and the Gain. It's by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Here's the thing. It has nothing to do with weight loss. So this is a book, if you're listening and you have a history with eating disorder, I'm very cautious what I recommend because I don't ever push weight loss on you. This is a safe book to read because it's it's not going to mention weight loss. But what it talks about is if you're sitting there all the time and you keep comparing yourself to this idealistic measuring rod, right? It's like, my food's going to be perfect and I'm going to work out perfect and you know all these things. That's living in the gap. Living in the gain is look how far I've come, things like that. So that is really an amazing book with that. And then I think the third one I would give, if you really want like an A to Z on mindset, how to eat differently, all of that, it would be the book, How to Lose Weight for the Last Time. Um, brain-based solutions by Dr. Katrina Ubel. I'm a little bit biased here because I was actually in her program years ago, but that I feel like that I could speak to the validity of all of it because number one, it worked for me, but she has changed so many women's lives. And even just reading in the beginning, you will read about, you know, like the snacking industry and just so many things that fuel emotional eating. And she kind of takes you through it's just a really quick read, a really easy way to look at a different approach. And I think a lot of it is in line with what me and you uh, teach people. So it's a really uh, congruent recommendation. Awesome. I'm going to link all of those in the show notes. You brought up Ben Hardy. Uh, I connected with him when I started my sustainable weight loss journey in my late 20s. I think his, it might have been his first book. I'm making that up, but he wrote a book called Willpower Doesn't Work. It's pretty short. I think it was gifted to me. I don't even know how I got my hands on it. It just showed up one day. I literally, I think it came in the mail. I don't even know who it came from. And I read it. It took, I mean, maybe a few hours to read. And it was the first time that I realized I had been relying on willpower and self-control predominantly to try to lose weight and keep it off when I should have been replying, relying on systems and discipline instead because willpower is finite. And it was just, I mean, 
eye-opening. Um, he also wrote an article for Medium, if anybody's interested, if you don't want to buy the whole book. But I will link the Medium article. I think it's called Willpower Doesn't Work by Ben Hardy. And so you could read that as well if you're interested. I know you talk about decluttering supporting weight loss, and I am obsessed with this topic. I think if I weren't a nutrition and weight loss coach, I would be some type of decluttering, decluttering and organization expert because that is my jam. I'm so obsessed with decluttering. Can you explain the link between the two? So they've seen and stuff, by the way, I'm the same as you. I, I love decluttering, <laughs> so, but they've seen in studies that if you live in a cluttered home, your cortisol levels are up. So your stress hormone, and that makes you hold on to weight. And Sometimes what I will say is, like, let's say that you're someone that wants to improve your health. There are many ways to go about it. So some people will start with working on their finances. Some will start with decluttering their home. Some will start with, I don't care what avenue you go through. In some capacity, what feels like a place where you want to start to feel better? And what we tend to see within our community is that as women start to declutter their home, there's less to manage they feel more in control. They feel like they can rest when they get home from the end of the day. And ultimately, a lot of weight loss success or behavior change comes from organizing your environment, right? Like me and you talk about this all the time. The is When you open the fridge, is everything good to go? Chances are, if your house is very cluttered, you're not sitting there and chopping up veggies for the fridge. So usually, I don't like to generalize, but usually it kind of goes hand in hand. So any way in which we can make your life easier, and that means less things to put away, less things to manage, usually that will lead to better results long term. And just for a kitchen, just a kitchen alone, just a space you want to spend time in. I mean, I'm a big proponent of nothing on the kitchen counter, except for a few things, but I like clean counters. So I have space almost. I feel like I'm in a restaurant and I have all this space to prepare and it feels so luxurious versus trying to fight with clutter on the counters. And then when you're wiping it up, there's crumbs between the clutter or, you know, if there's small kitchen appliances everywhere, it just, it's overwhelming to me because I'll have clients who will say, I don't know whether I should be using my air fryer or my Instapot, or should I just use a sheet pan? I mean, it can be overwhelming. And so just releasing, if we're thinking the idea is just release, releasing the things can help release the weight. It's the decision fatigue, right? It's like when you're, when you're, you know, asking 50 cooking appliances, you don't end up taking action. You're like, let's stick in the microwave. Let's order the food in. Right? Exactly. So yeah. We all think that decisions are great, actually. And I mean, this is also like science proven that the more decisions you have, the harder it is for you. So usually like pairing back your food choices, all those kind of things. I mean, you want to go out every so often, fine. But most people actually do amazing with less options. Same thing with clutter, less stuff to manage. People just enjoy it more. Well, I could honestly talk to you for hours and hours, but I want to respect your time. And I would love to hear your answer to a final question I ask each of my guests, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Well, I think to make the health investment, it's really being willing to go all in on yourself and realize that you are worthy, that there's not one other person in your life that needs to come before you taking a few minutes to make sure that you feel okay. Cause you, you know, I know it's, I know it's been said that you can't be there for others if you don't take care of yourself, but 
it's such a little amount of time that we need to do to prioritize, to put you at the top of the leaderboard. And I know for me too, like I struggle, it's like constantly pushing it up, you know, making sure that I take care of myself, but it's worth it. It, it really is. Hmm. Best in, investment in yourself. You, it, you're not going to regret it. You're definitely not. No. Where can listeners follow and find you? We mentioned your TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm on TikTok and Instagram, and so it's Natea MD, and I'm sure we'll we'll have that in the show notes below. I'm very active on TikTok. I respond to comments, things like that. And then if you're someone that's interested in more kind of the medical aspect of things or just kind of getting a tip monthly, the best thing to do is to go to my website, renteaclinic.com. That's R-E-N-T-E-A clinic.com. And right there, you can subscribe to my newsletter. It's called Metabolic Minute. I only email you once a month. And it's actually a video that's in there. Oh, cool. (laughs) I love talking in video. You know, I'm not so into writing, but um, I like to, you know, just connect with people there. And so, um, and then, and the other thing is I have a podcast, Weight Loss for Life. I co-host that. And again, some different perspectives on there. So if you love podcasts, I know I listen to probably like 50 of them, yours included. <laughs> so there I you know. go. Talk about, yeah, clutter in the home. I'm really good at clutter in my podcasts. That is not a strength of mine because I'm always like, oh my gosh, which one do I listen to? I only have an hour for this walk. I got to, you know, decide because I have 50 options. But I will link all of those places you just mentioned. I'm sure everybody's going to connect with you. And I just can't thank you enough, Dr. Intia, for being here. I know we'll stay connected on TikTok, but thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with my audience. Thanks. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.